good morning again, and welcome to you online as well as those who are here. Um, last week we were um, in a section. I told you we wanted to kind of break it up into um, three different chunks, and um, the first chunk we looked at last week was Matthew seven one through five, where it talks about do not judge, um, and then the one we're going to look at today is six through eleven, and kind of twelve just. Um, brings everything together. And so those are kind of where we're going. But last week, if you'll remember, um, we talked about the common eye infection of pink eye. Um, the common eye infection of pink eye. But then there is a spiritual eye infection that we all have at times, which is plank eye. And it's the ability, or the inability rather, to see what's wrong within yourself, and yet point out what's wrong with everyone else. And we said the problem, there's five things, and and these were my problems that I would admit and confess that I do this. Um, One, I assume the worst about the person. Two, I judge their motives. Three, I attack their character. Um, Four, I disregard their identity. And five, I elevate my pride is I start to look and see what's wrong with everyone else. And we looked at at this Pharisee and a tax collector who come to Jesus in the temple, and the Pharisee is just like, look at me, and thank goodness I'm not like him. And and the good news that we talked about last week is, thankfully, we don't have a tendency to do that. That was their problem back then, not so much for us now. But all of us at times, if we're real honest— fall into that trap so easily. And the solution was what we said was the benefit of the doubt, that we give people the benefit of the doubt by asking the question, what was the best possible way that I could take that? What is the best possible way that I could have heard that criticism? Because if you're like me, we jump to the worst. What's the absolute worst way I could have heard what they said and and responded alike. And what happens when we don't give people the benefit of the doubt is we make enemies out of image bearers. People who are called and the image of God, we make our enemies. And Paul talks about in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the principalities of this dark world. That there's something else going on beneath the surface, below the surface that we don't see, and that's where our battle is. And ultimately, we said generous, spiritually generous people give grace rather than judgment. So, moving on to verse 6. He says this, Do not give what is sacred. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So, I want to talk about the very um, biggest temptation and biggest problem that every single person in here has. Here you go. Here, peeky, 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 peeky. Now, I know all of you 
at one point or another in your life has done this. Just walked out and thrown your pearls to pigs. Right? So we're going to pray and then we're done. Don't, don't do that, by the way. Okay? Don't, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Now, how many people have ever read this verse and thought, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Because, to be quite honest, I don't have any pigs, and I really don't have any pearls that I throw in front of pigs. I don't know who's going to clean this up, by the way. (laughs) So first begins with defining some terms. For instance, what is a dog and what is a pig in Jesus' description? And then what is sacred and what is pearls? So we got to kind of define some terms. But ultimately, here is the, the thrust of what Jesus is saying. Don't give something of value to something that is completely unable to appreciate its value. The question then becomes, what is it that is of value that he's referring to? And who, because we know dogs and pigs is not literally dogs and pigs, it's people. Who then is it that is a dog and a pig? Who is it that we're not supposed to throw our pearls or what is valuable to? And so um, if you read commentaries and other scholars, you will come up with um, just multiple, multiple ideas of what is the dog and pig and what is sacred and what is pearl. But I want to give you kind of two of my favorite. Um, and if you want to know which one I think, um, my answer is yes. Um, I, I don't really know, but I do know I have two that kind of jump out to me and seem to make the most sense. And some days, um, you know, on burrito days, it's um, definitely option one, but on days I'm filling up pizza, it's option two, right? Just it's how you feel that day. So I'm going to give you two options. And then, um, so, so dogs and pigs in the first option would be the Pharisees, the teachers of the law those who Jesus is talking about throughout the sermon, um, it seems like it would make sense for him to kind of continue talking about that. And it could also, as a part of this, be Roman occupiers, people in power. And then what is sacred? What, what is the sacred? What is pearls? And they would say it is truth. It is wisdom. It's what Jesus tells tells you to do. And so there are these words that lead to eternal life, and I am the way. And there are some people who are completely incapable of grasping that or understanding it, maybe ever or particularly at this point of your life or their life. And so it wouldn't make sense for someone who's not really ready for this truth about Jesus or or whatever to just say, here, and keep throwing them out because they're in no way ready to comprehend it. They're no way ready to understand it. And so that would be 
option one. There's no sense in giving truth to someone who's incapable of hearing it or understanding it. So, um, out of the two, that's honestly probably my least favorite of my two choices. The second option is dogs and pigs, then becomes Roman occupiers. It becomes Caesar. Uh, wait, and just, just real quick, um, to kind of go back, um, Jesus talks to a Canaanite woman, and she says, hey, I want you to heal my daughter who's demon-possessed. And, and he says, we don't give dogs what is sacred, right? So these Gentiles who are incapable of understanding it. So that, that could have been dogs and pigs too, is those Gentiles who are incapable of understanding. We don't give them what's sacred, right? Okay? So, so that was option one. Option two, the dogs and the pigs then become the Roman occupiers. They become Gentiles. They, they even become um, the tax collectors who were Jewish citizens who sold themselves out. And then the pearls and what is sacred then becomes your allegiance, your heart, your soul, your, your mind, your strength. Don't give it to the empire. Because Rome is there, and they want your allegiance, and they want your, your commitment, and they want everything in your life to go to them. Don't give it to them, because in the end, they're just going to trample it, and they're just going to turn and tear you to pieces. Don't do it. Jesus is asked about paying the temple tax, and he says, let me see a coin. Whose inscription is on this coin? And he says, it's Caesar's. And then he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God's what is God's. Your heart, your soul, your trust, your hope. You can throw it towards the empire. You can give it to Rome or Babylon or Assyria. You can give it all to them but they're not going to appreciate it. So there's two options. Dogs and pigs, pearls and sacred. And, and those, honestly, are my two favorite, and I, I think I lean more towards the second option, but on some days I think, no, I think it's got to be the other. And you think, okay, well, then why does it, it's one verse out of the whole Sermon on the Mount, why does it matter? Why do we even need options? Why do we worry about what Jesus is saying? Why don't we just skip over that verse and go to the next? Because I think what you have to get out of this is a principle. It's a concept that's a really, really big word, and it's discernment. Not that big. Go to the small. Yeah. Discernment. This word discernment is the idea of choosing between options. Right? So there's judging where you're making a decision about someone or something. You're making a judgment. But discernment is a slight nuance in that where we're choosing something wisely. And Jesus throughout the rest of this sermon in chapter 7 is going to ask you to make some discernments. Right? There are two gates There are two roads. 
There are two um, prophets. There are two houses. Ultimately, there are two kingdoms. And your job is to discern. Right here, this is a question of discernment. Should I give myself, should I give my heart, my soul, my allegiance, this truth, should I give it to something it can't? Is a discernment question rather than a judgment question. See, there's a difference between judging someone in a way that we start attacking their character and discerning that that is not a wise person to follow. Does that make sense? There's a discernment. You can see someone who does something wrong and the tendency, as we said, is to assume the worst and start to attack their character. There's a difference between seeing someone who's doing something wrong, going the wrong direction, and saying, I'm not going to follow that path. I'm not going to continue to go that direction. I'm going to go a different, that is making a discernment. One attacks the person, the other looks at attitudes and actions and makes judging judgment based off what they see. But, but here's the problem. When we see people going in the wrong way, and this is why Jesus says don't judge. When we see people going the wrong direction, our tendency is to start to attack them and their character. And when we do that, we elevate ourselves to this place of moral superiority and we stop looking at what's wrong within us. We stop seeing the mess that we have inside and start attacking their mess that we're so good at seeing. And you can say, but everyone needs to know about that person. Do they? Why? Do they need to know about them for your benefit or for theirs? Because you can be discerning and warn people about someone in a way that does not attack that person and make accusations about them. You, you can be discerning in how you handle the situation and how you judge. Because the easiest thing to do, and we see this so much in our society right now, um, look on Facebook, look on news, is man, we throw darts, we throw accusations, we, we make claims, we start attacking people's character. And ultimately, the reason we do it is about us feeling a sense of moral superiority. It's about our pride. It's about our need to be right. And it's not just about our need to be right. It's about our need for them to be wrong as well. It comes back to pride. And so how does all of this fit into a bigger section? He goes on to say this, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Verse 11. If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give 
good gifts to those who ask him. Now, if you put all of this together, it kind of feels like Jesus loses his focus towards the end of his sermon and starts kind of taking some rabbit trails. Like if you, if you really read this, because he goes um, at the end of verse or chapter 6 of do not worry about tomorrow, um, seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be taken care of. Now, don't judge. Don't judge. And don't throw your pearls to pigs. And then ask God and treat everyone like they want to be treated. And for me, this section is kind of like, wait, wait, where? How, how does all this fit together? So don't worry. Comes first. Seek the kingdom of God. Then he says, don't judge. Don't judge and don't forget to look at what's wrong within yourself. Then he says, don't take what is sacred what is holy, and throw it to something that can't appreciate it. Something that can't understand its value and its worth. Instead, ask, and God will give you. Seek Him, and you will find Him. Knock, and He will open the door to you. Because God is a good Father. And he gives good gifts. And if your, your kid asks you for a gift, for, for some bread, you wouldn't give him a snake or a stone. If he asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. So he comes back after talking about trusting God and not judging and trusting God with yourself enough to know what you have that is holy and sacred. Instead, entrust it to God. The God who gives good gifts. Entrust everything to Him. Give everything that we want, that we have, that's holy and sacred, and we have a tendency to just say, here you go. Instead, know what is holy and sacred and simply give it to God. Trust Him. See, here's the deal. Your focus can only go one place. Anyone in here a multitasker? Okay, put your hands down because you're not. Our brain, and I, okay, and I will admit, women are much better at this than men, okay? But in general, we cannot multitask with our uninvited attention. Our, our, tension, our, our attention is divided between multiple places. I, I cook dinner most nights in our house, and um, a lot of times that requires having two or three or four pots and pans and an oven going and timers. And on um, frequent occasion, something gets forgotten, and we have a black pan. And Cammie's like, what, what, well, that was our onions. Um, and, and they're not really edible now because I burned them, because I forgot about them, because I was focusing on these things over here. And I think Jesus would say, your focus can only be in one place. Your focus and undivided attention can only go one way. You, you can try to see the plank, 
which Jesus says is sawdust comparatively, and everyone else, or you can see the goodness of your Father. The choice is which one will you focus on? Will you focus your mind and heart and attention on the problem with them, the speck of sawdust in their eye? Or will you focus your attention, your heart, your mind, your soul on the goodness of the Father? Because you can truly only focus on one. You can't divide it both ways. You can't multitask there. See, ultimately, ultimately our problem comes down to a gospel problem. It's not a people problem. It's our understanding of the gospel story. I love the way that Paul says this in Romans. Um, I'll just read it off screen. Um, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That that God is working in our life. And he says at just the right time, while we were enemies of God, he died so that we could be made right with him. See, our, our judgment problem is ultimately a gospel problem. Because our judgment problem stems from the fact that we forget that we were at once enemies with God. And his death, burial, and resurrection reconciled us and brought us back into relationship with him. And our tendency to see enemies and not image bearers makes it really difficult to see our own sinfulness. It makes it really difficult to see that the problem lies with us. That the speck of sawdust is our problem that we need to deal with. Because for everyone else, they see it as a speck, but God sees it as a plank. So, what does that have to do with entrusting God? If you truly believe the gospel story, that Christ has reconciled you to himself, then you don't have to spend your life worrying about them. You can entrust them to God. That that God will judge them and God will take care of them 
and you can trust that if they bear his image, he loves them and is pursuing them, and God can do anything in their life because he is a good father who gives good gifts to even you and me, though we're evil. Our judgment problem is ultimately a gospel problem. So last week I was walking around stage with a a plank in my eye. And I noticed something later in the week. That as I stood here longer, I was able to kind of forget that there was a plank here and see everyone else in the audience. And what I I, I started to, to figure out is if I stay here long enough, eventually I'm just going to get used to it. And I'm going to be comfortable with it. And eventually, I'm not even going to notice that it's there. But for every one of you looking at me, it's so easy to notice. How true is that from your life and mine? We see the problems in everyone else. And we don't want to deal with our stuff. We don't want to, and as Christian read, that passage goes on after talking about the supremacy and the love of Christ. It goes on to talk about all that's in our life that needs to be taken out. And he uses the the put to death phrase or take off as its clothing. Get rid of it. At our house, um, we have quite a, a, a few flower beds, and I hate pulling weeds. Um, I would much rather get my weed eater and just go over the top and give it the appearance that there are no weeds there. But the very next week, after we've watered the grass and it's gotten some sunlight, what happens? Those weeds come back up. And they continue to spread because what the weed eater did was just stir everything up. And it gave it the appearance that it was taken care of. These planks, we have to be able to look at. And just like you get rid of the weeds, you get down on your hands and knees and you start ruthlessly pulling them out by the weeds. Getting to the root of the problem, that's the very same way we get rid of these planks. We we shift our focus. And, And in doing that, we begin to see God's generosity. And as we fall more and more in love with God's generosity and the gospel story that's told to us, God's generosity becomes our generosity. It becomes the way that we see the world and that we see other people. That we're going to be generous just as God is generous to us. That that we're going to love people. And so he says this, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. The only way that we can do that, the only way we can love and treat others the way that we want to be treated is to trust the generosity of God 
that he's going to take care of us and he's going to take care of them and everything is in his hands. He's been good to us and we've seen his goodness and so in turn we're going to be good to others. And so we're going to judge, we're going to see people and we're going to make our judgments in the same way we want them to judge us. That we're going to make our judgments in the same exact way we want God to judge us. With much grace. Let me talk for just a second about what happens when we don't. Because right now, let me just tell you, on social media, we're seeing everywhere people making attacks against other people and their character. And when you do that, you kill your witness for Christ. You position yourself in a way where your character that should look like the character of God living in us is not seen. Some parents, you kill your influence with your children, your voice with your grandchildren because of the attacks that we make. You can make discernments about people, about movements, about politics. But when we start to attack their character, we kill our witness. It's difficult. And there's a very fine line. But as followers of Jesus, we always have to be wrestling with that line. And asking the question, what does it look like to respond and treat people as Jesus does in this world? That is always our baseline. That is always where we begin. And you can say, well, that, Gary, that's not very realistic. I'm sorry, that's not how the world works. Here's the deal. You were not called to be a part of this world. In fact, you died to this world and were raised to life into a new world called the kingdom of God. And you have been called to live out the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. If we haven't forgotten the prayer that Jesus began really this section with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You were not called to live as a part of this world. You were called to be in this world, but not to be of this world, to not look like it. And I understand you can say, well, the judging thing, it doesn't work. This is the real world. Get realistic. I think I am. That you were called 
to live differently in this world in a way that makes sense in the world to come. Where there's not this transition where we've been living this one way, now we come to the end and it's like, oh, now we're going to start. That water represented your death, your burial, but also your resurrection. Your resurrection into a new and better world. A world where things don't work the way they always have. Because Jesus was died, had died, was buried, and rose again. And if you believe that, if you believe that story, it changes everything. Father, today, there are so many things that we hold sacred and holy that we simply throw before pigs. Things that we don't understand the sacredness of. And so, Father, today, would you help us to see and to trust everything that we have once again to you this new day, believing that you are a good Father, that you are resurrecting, that you're redeeming, that you're renewing all things. And, Father, that you continue to give good gifts to your children. And so, Father, we trust you. Even when we want to judge, even when we want to attack, even when we want to accuse, when we want to let that spirit of accusation fill our hearts to see what's wrong with everyone else and not to see ourselves. Father, give us the humility to see our own flaws, our own imperfection, our own sin, and ruthlessly weed it out so that we can look more and more like Jesus so that we can better understand the gospel story. That it was us, individually, who was enemies of God, who have been redeemed and reconciled by your blood. So, Father, as we go, may we treat others in the way that we want to be treated. Because, Father, ultimately, that is what you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.